0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, Kelsey and I were like talking and meeting new friends, and it was like, wow, this is so fun to be able to talk so long. And then I realized, oh, wait, I have to like stop this. I was like, wow, this is so great. Um, Oops. Uh, Yeah, but I think it's a good way to start a sermon that's supposed to be about embracing. Um, I have a few opening, opening comments or remarks or caveats, and then... Holly will read our scripture passage, um, and we're going to start in Ezekiel. Then we're going to talk about Jesus, and then we're going to read the poem that's on the front of your uh, of your bulletin or order of worship. Is that what we call it? Yeah, order of worship. Um, that's the general outline. So if I start to like stray, just like yell at me or something. Um, I so first of all, I want to say that um, that I mean, I hope that this. Sermon is actually God's word speaking to you. I don't know what you're, we might all have different theologies about what preaching is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the most intimidating because he says, when the word of God is proclaimed, it's like Jesus, like Jesus is walking in our midst. So, like, that's really, really intimidating, right? Because I'm like, I am not really comfortable saying that these words are Jesus walking around in us, but Bonhoeffer would say something to that effect. So, that being said, Um, I actually think that the most important part of us talking and thinking about Sabbath as a way to embrace is what happened well actually what happened and I had to stop which is um, talking to each other, meeting each other, um, and then gathering around uh, this table and then praying together that's a that's an amazing way to embrace each other um, as Nate will say and and then around the tables downstairs, that we're all going to be doing that. So we're all going to be living this sermon. So I guess that's a way to kind of, you know, devalue my words from the get-go. Second, uh, you would think that because I had two weeks to prepare this sermon, that (laughs) this would be really good, right? Or at least that I would really know what I'm going to say. But actually the opposite is true because... um, Actually, when Chris called me on Saturday, I was sort of in the middle of, of reading and thinking about Sabbath, and I, it was kind of, it was really awesome. It was like I was enraptured with thinking about the Sabbath, but I was not writing anything down because I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I don't, I don't have, I don't know how I can express these thoughts at all, which is a general problem for me anyway. Um, but I think that. I think that actually shows why the Sabbath is so important. Growing up, Sundays just meant mom didn't cook dinner, and so we ate popcorn and malts for dinner, which is pretty awesome, right? Um, But I think the Sabbath, as we're going to see in the passage, um, in the Ezekiel passage, Sabbath is like, I think it's um, at the heart, and it's like the beating heart of the universe and the gospel. And... And I don't really know how to, how to tell that to you or how to explain that. And I think it's very um, slipperiness, like shows how important it is, right? Because the things that you really value, the people you really value, here's a ex- good example. The people you really value, isn't it true that it's the hardest to tell them how much, like what they mean to you, right? Kelsey knows this is true. <laughs> um so I think, I think part of the slipperiness and the elusiveness of what the Sabbath is or what it should be or what we should do about the Sabbath or not do on the Sabbath, I think part of the difficulty there points to the importance of it. Um, and then third, my third opening remark is that, uh, okay, well, another reason that we know that the Sabbath is important is because that is the pinnacle of creation. If we look our our scripture passage could have been Genesis, perhaps, um, which is the very first Sabbath. Uh, I grew up thinking that humans were the pinnacle of creation, like, and then on the sixth day, like God saved his best for last, and he picked up the dirt and, you know, that is so important. Obviously, we're important in God's sight. We're the image bearers of God, but that's not the end of the creation story. Like, I stop there. It's like, yeah, and then God's going to take a break. And my idea of what that first Sabbath was is like the, the way we imagine the Sabbath is important. So my, first imi- my image of the first Sabbath is kind of like a gardener. And it's good to think of God as a gardener because he makes a garden um, and he's busy at work. But my image of what that first Sabbath was is like, you know, maybe a work day in the garden out here or gardens back home. And then the gardener, God kind of sits back and the Sabbath is his version of like sitting on his porch, drinking tea, like looking at the garden that like he just made. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, and I think that is a okay image, but that is, not, that is not the end all of what's happening in the first Sabbath. And gosh, I really hope that something I say today gets at that. Um, Yeah. So without further ado, Holly, could you come up and read um, our passage from Ezekiel? And if you guys want to follow along too, this is where we're going to start and we're going to kind of go verse by verse. So if you want to take one of the Bibles from the pews or your Bible and follow along, that's cool. Oh, and it's up here too. Okay, cool.
1: led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. <coughs> also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us, so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. And they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and destroy them in the wilderness. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Also with uplifted hand, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands, because they rejected my laws and did not follow my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths. For their hearts were devoted to their idols. Yet I looked on them with pity and did not destroy them or put an end to them in the wilderness.
0: Thanks, Holly. <clears throat> I have never preached on Ezekiel before, and I don't think I've actually ever heard a sermon on Ezekiel before. Um, so why did I pick this? Well, maybe I didn't pick it. But um, I, the way I went about it is, I basically didn't know what embracing had to do with the Sabbath at all, and so I had to look through all the references to Sabbath, like in the whole Bible, and figure out what is the Sabbath, and if I can figure out what that is, maybe I'll know what embracing has to do with it. So, this is actually the only time that I came across in the Bible, uh, the Old Testament in particular, where um, the Sabbath is, is... Uh, is explicitly stated as basically the pinnacle and the summation and maybe the heart of all of God's commandments. Um, And we'll talk about why that's important in a second. But I think, first of all, let's kind of go verse, we're going to go verse by verse and kind of unpack it hopefully a little bit and then we'll go from there. Um, So, first off, uh, if you have your Bibles open, in verse 10 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 20, God says, Therefore, I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Um, and for our whole passage, Ezekiel is basically recounting the history of Israel. And we, yeah, so like step one, get delivered from Egypt into not the promised land, but the wilderness. Okay? Okay. All right, verse 11, and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a person does, they shall live by. So out of Egypt into the wilderness, and then God gives them what they need to live. That's what it says. I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a person does, they shall live by them. So, okay, in the wilderness, God gives God's people what they need to live and flourish. And then verse 12, and this is the reason that, this is the passage that we're looking at today. Moreover, um, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. When I first read that, I was like, oh, I got to use this, because, uh, because, I don't know, this was the first thing that showed me, like, how is it? Why is the Sabbath so important? At least to Ezekiel, he he spins it or he writes it and he sees it so that the Sabbath is not something just in addition. That first word in my Bible says, moreover, I gave them my Sabbath. I think it's like, and then on top of all that, to sum it up, I gave them my Sabbath, which is a sign, a sign that they would know. That I'm the one that sanctifies them. And we've talked about that if you've been at the, I think most of of us probably were here for the first two sermons we had about the Sabbath, about resting and ceasing. And a big part of that is we have to know that the world is going to be just fine if we, you know, take a day off, right? Or if we just stop, stop, stop. And that we do have to stop so that we know that God is the one that acts. God is the one that created in the first place. And He upholds His creation still. Like permission to take a day off. Not, not just permission, but a command that you must stop. You must stop so that you know that, this is God talking, so that you know that I'm the one, that I'm the one that does this sanctifying. I'm the one that actually makes you holy. Not only that, but I'm the one that made you in the first place and everything else that you did. So there's that. Verse 13. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statues. They they despised my judgments, which if a person does, they shall live by. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness and consume them. So God's people have always been bad at keeping the Sabbath. (laughs) that's maybe the moral of this <laughs> verse, and if we read the New Testament, we know that that god 's people, even when they like buckle down and try super super hard to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, right like there are so many verses in the New Testament of Jesus again and again butting heads with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and god 's people period and t- like telling them that they still don't get the Sabbath like you've made Hundreds, literally hundreds of laws to try to keep the Sabbath holy and you're still not doing it right. I mean, that in itself like, shows how slippery this Sabbath, this ceasing is. And then, and then we get the gospel here in verse 14. But I acted for my name's sake that it should, be, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. I acted for my name's sake. God gave His people, God delivered His people. God gives them, gives us what we need to live. And we still, we still choose death, right? So when Israel's brought out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, everything's great. And then after a while, they start to, like the promised land starts to feel really far away. And they're like, you know what? I really wish we could go back to Egypt, you know? It wasn't so bad being a slave, right? Like, we got three square meals a day. And we know that with a tiny bit of self-reflection, we know that we do the same things, right? Like, God has delivered me from, you know, like trying to meet people's expectations and let other people, like, giving like give me my value, right? God's delivered me from that. But then we still go back to it. That's kind of like our default, Right? That's what it's like to be in the wilderness. And I think that we, as God's people, we're still in the wilderness. Like we have been delivered from Egypt, but we're still in the wilderness, right? Because who feels like they're in the promised land? Maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe even you have a really great year and it feels like you're in the promised land, but just wait. Like it's not going to feel like you're in the promised land if you wait. And so what God's people have done since the beginning is they kind of they look back. They choose, we choose death instead of life. But verse 14 says, I acted for my name's sake. God acted for God's name's sake. Not because we were honorable, not because, because God made us. God put his image on us, and he said, That is worth saving. Um so with that I want to kind of move us from, from Ezekiel and look forward, which Ezekiel is pointing our eyes forward to Jesus, whether or not Ezekiel knew this when he was writing this down or not. Um, I guess verse 17 sort of restates what verse 14 says. He said, It says, Nevertheless, my eyes spared my people from destruction. I did not make an end to them in the wilderness. And Okay, so I want you to take that with you. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. God will not make an end of you in this wilderness right now. Okay? Why do we think that? Why do we know that? Well, when I was looking at all the references of Sabbath in the New Testament, there was only one time, like one part of the New Testament, or one part of the Gospels that Sabbath is used in all four accounts of the Gospels. Um, And that happens to be a very, very short reference. I'll read to you uh, this reference in Luke. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. This is right after Jesus is killed on Good Friday. And he's put in the tomb. um, Killed by his own people. Put in the tomb. And everyone's afraid. Well, his disciples are afraid. The Roman authorities are probably relieved The Jewish leaders are maybe relieved, maybe just happy to be able to be the ones teaching on the Sabbath again instead of Jesus, who's always stirring things up. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So while Mary is still crying, while the disciples are hiding because they're afraid that they're going to be next to be killed, and while everyone else kind of goes about their stillness in the Sabbath, Jesus is... Jesus is killed and dead, but there 's something stirring in in the heart of the universe, like jesus 's ceasing is the reason for our living and this is the, this is that mystery that I still don 't have the words to express to you, but there 's something there 's something so beautiful in our faith that and it 's a paradox right this Everything, the creator of the world, Jesus is the one that speaks the world into being. His hands form the world, like literally formed the world. And those hands are nailed to the cross and Jesus is killed, ceasing nothingness. And while everyone else takes a break on this Sabbath, this Sabbath of Sabbaths, in the stillness, God is still at work. And the fabric of creation is, is rewoven and shown to be, I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't express it to you. I can't express it to you, but um, there, is, there is a way to get at this. Um, there's a way to get at this mystery. Hmm, let me see what I've written down here. Yeah. There's a a stirring in the depths of the universe. That's all I wrote down. Um, And then we know, because we've all gone on, right, and read read the next part of the Gospels. Everyone rests on the Sabbath, and then the first day of the week, you know, which would have been Sunday for them, today, uh, his disciples go, and they realize that Jesus has, you know, they thought he was in his grave all Sabbath long, but lo and behold, the stone has been rolled away, and Jesus is no longer there. And they're terrified and so excited and really, really confused. Profoundly confused, which makes me feel not so bad, you know. Um, But, okay, so um, this is where I'd actually like to transition to that poem uh, that's on the front of your orders of worship that I've written down. Um, It's by Gregory Orr. With their embrace, they chose each other, which is to choose death and all that comes before it. Sufferings and joys and infinite unintended harms. Large choice for such small arms. I think that, uh, well, this comes from a collection of poetry from Gregory Orr. Uh, about Adam and Eve, and I think this is sort of his ode to what he would call maybe the first embrace um, between Adam and Eve, and that final line is so poignant, right? Large choice for such small arms, and uh, yeah, okay, so let's think about this. This is Adam and Eve, the first embrace, you know, they embrace each other before they know that they're going to be kicked out of this garden, that they're going to be the, the cause of each other's downfall, kind of, and they're they're going to experience all the pains of the world for the very first time, and there's something in that that's so true of, like, a, a new relationship, right? You're so, you know, infatuated with the other person that everything seems like it's going to be so awesome, and there's never going to, like, how could there be anything, how could there ever be anything wrong between us? But that embrace, they embrace, with their embrace they chose each other, which is to choose death. Now think of it, this is a very, this is like a human response, but to something that God has already done, right? Even in the context of Adam and Eve, their, their embrace is not the first embrace. The first embrace is God reaching down into the soil that has no life in it, holding it in his hand, Hands And well, one of my professors says this. I don't know if I agree. He says he takes up the soil and he kisses it. In the Bible it says he breathed into it the breath of life. Which is maybe like a kiss. But this is the first embrace. God taking up the lifeless soil and putting life into it. And to do that is ultimately to choose death. For God. God picks that up. And as soon as he breathes life into that. I think that there's part of God's mind that sees the cross. Something in that first breath of life also has Jesus' final gasp on the cross in it. That's why Sabbath is such a mystery. because Because we can't do anything. We are the clay. We're the soil that can't do anything until God reaches down and breathes into us we're as clueless we're as clueless as the Romans who were nailing Jesus to the cross who Jesus is saying God forgive them because they don't know what they're doing and the Sabbath trying to cease is so hard to do and you feel really really helpless at least I do trying to trying to let go of something is so hard to do we always want to grasp We always want to grasp. That's the first sin, right? Grasping the fruit that you're not supposed to take. Grasping. But what you're supposed to be, what you are, not supposed to be, what you are is that clay. And Sabbath is our best attempt to try to remember that, right? That final line of the poem, large choice for such small arms. It is a large choice for these small arms, mine, and yours are small arms, but but it, God's arms are not that small. They're the biggest. Um, that's the mystery of the Sabbath. Is the mystery the same mystery of the gospel? And I know that's like, that's why we meet together on this you know the day after the Sabbath of Sabbaths you know, was like the first, you know, it's Easter Sunday, right? And that's why we meet together on Sundays. And, okay, so the practical part of this sermon is, is basically this poem, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we try to cease on the Sabbath to try to remember that we are, that we're impotent, and we're really broken, and we're, not good at the things that we want and know that we should be really good at. We at least want to be really good at them. Maybe we shouldn't be good at them. And we come together, right? We don't just read our Bibles on, on Sunday mornings by ourselves. That would be terrible. But we come together here around this table, you know, around this bread that is, that is our bread of life. <laughs> this Sunday, made by someone, made by us. We make this bread, but this bread is also really alien to us. This is the God that picked us up. You know, we're going to pick, Chris will pick this bread up in a second, but it's, it's just acting out that first picking up of all time. Like We have to, we have to act out this, this poem, this mystery of the Sabbath, we have to act it out over and over again. That's why we have to do it every week. That's why I, because we, between the span of seven days, much less seven hours, we forget. We forget what what our purpose is. So we, because we are, whether we like it or not, whether we are up to it or not, and most of the time I don't feel up to it, but we are the arms of Jesus. And he told us to embrace each other. And so we do. We try. We try to do that. And that's the amazing thing about grace is that in our failings and in our, huh, I don't know. I, I don't know about you guys, but the last two weeks I've been, you know, trying to write a sermon about embracing and I keep being interrupted by calls to embrace people. And sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't. Um, and most of the time I feel really passive in this embrace. But an embrace is never actually one-sided, right? Our embrace is, I mean, that's the worst hug of all is if you hug someone it doesn't hug you back. And so I guess my final words, and what my prayer has been for two weeks now, uh, is that we would, would be able to embrace each other. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I should get down from here so we can get on with it. And I think... Prayer is the first, well, communion and also prayer. Try to think of them as our way of embracing each other. And when we go down to the potluck, uh, you know, it's amazing and it's fun and it's lighthearted. But it's also a really big mystery. And I guess maybe that's all I've conveyed today. And if that's the case, then that's a success, is that. It is a mystery when we embrace each other. So, let's get on with that. I'll pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for picking me up. Thank you for picking all of us up. Our great, 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 great grandfather Adam up. And you're just a pile of dirt <laughs> when we feel like we're piles of dirt. <laughs> you pick us up. You pick us up. You kiss us. Hmm. God, may we know. Um, Even if we don't know what we're doing, may we embrace each other today. Uh, because you know, like we do, that there's a lot of us here today, a lot of us in the Oak Church family and in Lakewood that, that really need to be embraced, um, who maybe haven't felt embraced for a long time. And we know that even when we don't hug well, <laughs> that you will be there, and that you are there. Even in our ceasing, even in our failure, um, you've, already, you've already done this, this beautiful thing in our midst. You've already come close to us. Even in your silence, even what feels like silence, you are speaking loudly. And I ask that you would give us the ears to hear your voice give us the eyes to see you in the faces of each other <clears throat> and um, give us the arms that are willing to to be open we can't embrace with our arms folded over our chest um, we have to be open to embrace each other and I ask that you would gosh just give us the courage um, to take those uh, first little steps <sighs> Thank you. Thank you, God, for showing a little bit of your beauty to us. We ask that you'd show us more. In Jesus' name, amen.